Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about the challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. Before we get into the podcast, a word from our sponsors of this episode. Chargebee is a leading subscription billing platform that powers some of the best SaaS startups, such as Hopkins, Spendesk, Livestorm, and Team Leader. The platform is powerful for startups to navigate complex tax compliance, invoicing, and billing regulations. You can also experiment with different pricing models and localize pricing and checkout experience. Check them out at chargebee.com. E-Residency is a digital gateway to the Estonian startup scene for foreign founders and entrepreneurs. The birthplace of Skype, Wise, and Bolt Estonia has many advantages for early-state startups for doing business remotely. 90,000 e-residents have already joined. Read more about what they offer on their website at eresident.gov.ee. And now, let's get into today's episode. Healthcare is one of the largest consumer spend categories, yet remains largely undigitized at almost every level of the value chain and patient journey. COVID, of course, has been the greatest catalyst for change in this industry. No wonder this area is seeing the largest influx of VC funds compared to any other sector. In Europe alone, 41 billion have been invested in this sector so far versus only 25 billion in 2019. My guest today is Ranjan Singh, co-founder and CEO of Health Hero. Ranjan has a long history of being a digital executive, entrepreneur, and a private equity investor who's been innovating and investing in sectors at the cusp of transformation for over 20 years. Prior to forming Health Hero, Ranjan held leadership positions in high-growth digital companies and private equity firms. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Ranjan about Health Hero and his strategy for winning in this market. I'm delighted to have Ranjan on the show. Welcome, Ranjan. Thanks, Anita, and delighted to be here. So you have quite a diverse background, digital executive, entrepreneur, private equity investor. And I saw from your profile that you were also an executive chairman at Neo Health and Medical Solutions before Health Hero. How is Health Hero different than what you were trying to do at Medical Solutions and Neo Health? In terms of my background, when you get to my vintage, what comes with it is that you've got to try different things in life. That's why I've had three different uh, avatars, executive, entrepreneur, investor, now back to being an entrepreneur. And I've done it in various sectors, travel, retail, and also a bit in banking, financial services before my journey in digital health started about seven years. At the face of it, there isn't much common in all of these sectors, but actually there is a big underlying theme which is about these industries being massive industries transformed fundamentally by digital. So that has happened. Nobody needs to explain in travel, in retail and uh, banking. And it's happening in healthcare now, though with about a 15-year time lag. That's how I build a connecting theme and justify my place in, in healthcare currently. That, that's my background. In terms of my roles within this sector, I started my journey in the sector with a private equity firm called Penta Investments, which had three different pillars, the hospitals and clinics, a health insurance company, and a pretty large chain of pharmacies. I was building the fourth vertical for them, which was health, tech, data, and digital. And Neo Health was the brand of that uh, initiative venture, which brought uh, all the other verticals together in a way uh, that some of ours were more compelling. So when I started Health Hero, that was done by joining hands with Markle, which is another investment house uh, with the private equity side of it focused on healthcare. Medical Solutions was one of their portfolio companies, which was then brought into the fold of Health Hero 
and form the basis of our GP services and B2B for our insurance. So that's the connection. Now, Medical Solutions has been transformed and doesn't exist in its earlier shape and form, but is a core part of healthy So that's the connection of the two businesses that you mentioned. When I think about health tech companies, from a consumer point of view, I'm like, it's phone and video. What's so special about being able to talk to your GP over phone and video? Maybe you can explain Health Hero and what's the larger vision and how it's beyond just phone and video. That brought in a point which is core to the founding of Health Hero. When I joined the sector, I had this sense of deja vu with what I'd seen in other sectors. Right? There was a lot of innovation. There was a lot of excitement about this massive sector being transformed fundamentally by and lots of VC money pouring in, as you alluded to. It was smaller at that time, but for that time to scale, it was still big. But there were no dominant business models uh, or winning business models and no dominant players. And that intrigued me. What you've said is the answer. When people saw this, many digital entrepreneurs jumped in and just put this Skype or uh, you know video version of, of healthcare and uh, said they're disrupting healthcare and digital. Putting two people to talk to each other on video today is mundane. So while it did allow for some convenience, for the patient. They didn't have to travel to the clinic and they could book appointments. It didn't do anything fundamentally to change the core issues of healthcare outside of patient experience. That we call internally Digital Health 1.0, the very early version of Skype for healthcare kind of thing. The second wave, which which came in and most of the people are in this currently, saying that we're providing end-to-end digital service in healthcare from appointment consultation, prescription, testing, all of that. But ultimately what they're doing is they are digitizing into an existing archaic pathway, which is inefficient, right? To me, any company, for it to be sustainable and have a scale, you have to focus and solve for the core issues uh, that the healthcare is facing today. So to me, there are two constituents. One is the patient. And the second one is everything put together providers, payers, practitioners. Uh, I'm simplifying it, but let's say the system. On the patient side of it, the issues are experience, really poor experience, full of friction, and inconsistent outcomes. If 10 people with similar symptoms went to 10 different practitioners, probably would have two to three different diagnoses, which is a big cause of concern. There's a problem, sometimes fatal, in healthcare. So we want to solve for experience and outcome on the patient. On the system side, there is obviously a long list, but the core ones are capacity or the lack of it. There aren't enough doctors to serve patients. Europe has a shortage of 250,000 doctors. And this is not going to be filled linearly at all. They're not producing them anymore. And the gap is growing wider. So you have to have a smart way of delivering healthcare, which uses less clinical capacity. There's no escaping. Second, is the issue of cost. People are living longer. Europe, by and large, is a welfare state. Governments pay for it. Budgets are tight. And so making this capacity and cost issue worse is the underlying inefficient, one-size-fits-all archaic process. So for us, while we solve for experience on the patient side, we need to solve for efficiency, cost, capacity, and process efficiency in the system. So we've set out to build Health Hero and deliver healthcare in a way which combines experience on the patient side and efficiency on the system side. That's a simple vision, but mighty complex to execute on, but so far, pretty much on track. When I look at everything that you're doing, 
And I think that's going to be the focus of this podcast is you have a huge vision. You are doing a lot. And I really want to tease apart the different elements and get your thoughts on focus and priorities because a lot of startups struggle with focus and priorities when they're trying to do a lot. But before I go there, just to make sure I understand what Health Hero does, I have experience being in UK of using e-consult. Every time I call, they'll say, have you done e-consult? And they'll tell me to go to e-consult and fill out this long form. And then a doctor would call me about whatever. I know you're doing much more than that, but where does something like e-consult fit in the things that you're doing? Is it just the patient end user experience side that e-consult is replacing and none of the other system things that you talked about? Can you just explain that? Yeah. What e-consult does is called Dr. Link, which makes the entire NHS process very efficient that, you know, we provide a digital front door to NHS through, through our Dr. Link app. So people go through the triage. That triage is a class one medical device approved by MHRA, and it's backed by some 64, 65 million assessments that have happened on that. In a recent peer-reviewed article, it came up head and shoulders above all other symptom checkers and triage tools in terms of patient safety, accuracy, and so on. So that is our very powerful offering to NHS, digital front door, which one third of people who use it don't need to see a doctor and are comforted otherwise. Those who do need to see a doctor are given a referral monitor, what kind of practitioner do they need to see, and also what we call an acuity monitor, how urgently do they need to see them, whether it's right now or two days later. And 40% of those who need to see the doctor are happy to wait a couple of days. So through that, in UK, and I'll come back to what our overall business is, we really help NHS, alleviate the pain and workload and stuff and do it in a manner which marries the experience for patient and the efficiency as well. Because going to a doctor's uh, practices, not everybody is a idea of fun, right? So if they don't need to, and if we can avoid that, help them give that comfort, we do that. So that's what we do. One of the things we do for NHS, but zooming out, we're in four countries, as UK, Ireland, Germany, and France. And in each of these four countries, we have different business model. There are three main segments. We have B2C, where you are targeting the end user directly. That is our predominant business in France. That is our second largest business in Ireland. And that is also our current business in Germany. In UK, we don't target consumers directly, but I'll come to that. So B2C is one part. Then there is B2B, where we are serving insurers and corporates provide value-added services to their insurers or employ health and well-being and so on. And this cuts across all our countries where we operate. The third sector that we have, uh, segment, is B2G, business development. And we are big in the UK on, on that with NHS. We're a big provider to NHS. One of the offerings I just explained to you. The second one is we are the leading IUC, integrated urgent care provider for NHS. So there are regions where you call 111. That comes to us, and we do the triaging and stuff from there and guide the people in the right direction and even provide that out-of-hours surgeries that you walk into. Those are actually our doctors, and we provide the service. That's exactly what I was getting at. You have this multi-pronged business model with services to consumers, businesses, governments. You have a multi-city approach. You're in Germany and France and Ireland and UK. All of them are your primary cities where you're trying to establish your brand. Are you worried about spreading yourself too thin? 
How do you prioritize what to do? Right from the word go, we set out to build a pan-European platform. Within that, it was very clear to us that the only plausible, sustainable, sensible way to do it is through strategic m combined with organic scale-ups. So we've bought businesses in these markets who are dedicated to those markets, completely focused. There are entire teams who live, breathe, and sleep those markets and nothing else. And their business models and everything is what that market needs. And that allows us to not spread central resources or anything like that. This, I think, unique execution approach for a startup that we've taken really allows us to balance those, in some ways, best of all the worlds, that you expand quite rapidly, gain that local expertise, and bring in the power of the platform from a central view as well. I mean, for example, the online triage symptom checking tool that I explained about, we don't need 10 of those because we're in 10 markets. We need just one. And there are several other examples. So that's the approach we've taken, and that allows me to execute on that in these multiple markets. Of course, there is natural limit to it. When we started, September 2019 was what building the plan and setting things, building that alignment with our shareholders. So 2020 was about getting those building blocks in place. 2021 was bringing all those companies together and making them work together cohesively and have uh, that integration done and one health hero and culture and business model in everything that we do. This year is about scaling rapidly from that base. While you cannot model opportunity right now, we're pretty pleased with where we are and what we do and we're looking to just scale what we have today. It's just phenomenal what you've been able to accomplish in two years, Ranjan. I have I have so many questions that come to my mind with the model that you've laid out. It does seem like a really good model, especially to be able to enter established markets very quickly because you went and got companies that are well known in those markets and that's allowed you to basically establish yourself in those markets. But long term, and I know that one of your strategies has been to leave the brands as they are, so not to merge them under the umbrella health hero brand. Long term, do you see that as the way to go or do you think that you're going to consolidate it into Health Hero worldwide like some of your other competitors have done? A very pertinent question and an answer to that would be probably in eight weeks time because we are running a project internally with help of a pretty renowned brand agency helping come up with our brand architecture and strategy. So more to see there. Yeah, exactly. Got it. When I think about health tech, I know of Babylon. I know of eConsult. How are you going to create and build your brand? At least in UK, for example. I didn't know about Health Hero until I contacted you. Two or three things in, in context. We're just a two-year-old business. And two, we've been focused on building the business rather than building the brand. Where we have a B2C business, a brand like Care is super well-known and loved in France. But from a corporate point of view, are we a name on the street? No, not yet. Do you want to be? Probably. But we are very well-known in the right sectors, the insurance community or NHS or our B2B clients where we serve, we well known. Investor community just loves us and they be quite present and top of the mind in, in there. It's interesting, I think you mentioned e-consult, it's probably your own personal experience rather than a reflection of the picking order in, in the industry. On a pan-European basis, people in the know, there are three companies that they consider, that's Babylon, Cree and Health Hero as pan-European players in telehealth, providing providing health care, right? 
Out of that, Babylon is not really European at all. 95% plus of their business is, is America, their entire team. So they're not a European business. Cree, which operates under the brand name Livy in, in UK and in France, is a pan-European business, but it's still pretty dominant in Sweden. But those are the pan-European scale businesses providing holistic care. That is the peer group that we have. I think Babylon is about 10 years and so is Cree, 8 to 10 years. And at BRB2, now that we, we put the building blocks in place and stuff, this year you would hear a lot more about our brands. Very interesting, Adbi. Curious to see where you land. Markle has bankrolled Health Heroes acquisition spree so far, but some of your competitors, Babylon's of the world and even Cry, et cetera, have a lot more funding. I know Babylon did a SPAC and they've listed and they've got over 700 million in funding. How do you compete in a market where your competitors have so much funding, especially when you have gone the acquisition, integration and explosive growth route? How are you viewing this competition? What do you think it takes to win in this market? Million dollar or if not hundreds of million dollar question, right? That is where I keep repeating on the approach we've taken. There is funding, why it's needed. When I say the most sustainable approach, I've got let's say one third the money raised compared to some of the competition that uh, you, you mentioned, if, if not less. And we today have a far more diversified and solid business, which is not a one market business it's diversified across markets. It's nearly equal weighted across all the channels, B2B, B2C, B2G that I mentioned. It is uh, a business which has nearly double, if not triple, with uh, some players' gross margin of uh, other players that you mentioned. So essentially, we build a business which combines big scale, high growth, and is not a bottomless cash pit. Now, how we've done it is the approach we've taken where we are very smart, I think, about knowing and deciding where to invest in organically and build and where to buy. This is our DNA, which is quite unique. And this is a really capital efficient model that we've taken. So we've achieved more than what the competition that you mentioned has achieved, but with far less funding. So funding has not been a bottleneck. We've got funds what we need. We're deploying it within the most sensible manner. And we continue to do that. The underlying business that we have is the strongest of any player in digital telehealth. For me, investment is not a business model where you you raise money and then you raise money to get on to the next level of growth or to justify the uh, first investment itself. That's not something that we do. Is your go-to-market strategy going to continue to be the same model where you're going to acquire companies and establish yourself in new markets? We made six acquisitions in the nine months from summer of 2020 to the spring of 2021. Three of these acquisitions were market entry acquisitions, and three were capability acquisitions in clinical tech with online triage, health risk assessment, as I mentioned, with mental health, and NHS as a capability as well. So we do have the building blocks in place, and we are demonstrating very high organic growth based on what we put together so far. Will we continue to do acquisitions? Yes. Are we relying on acquisitions for growth? No. So we'll continue to do acquisitions as we expand along the care spectrum. So today or last year, the business was predominantly focused on episodic care when people are not feeling well and came to us for a one-off consultation. So we're doing more and better of it. We're really innovating into that and bringing 
cutting-edge things which allows for great patient experience as well as makes doctor's life and uh, work easier. Then we are building into the preventative well-being side of it. There are some really exciting initiatives and projects that we have, and this year it should be a substantial business on, in its own. And on the other side of the spectrum, we're building continued disease management, digital therapeutics. So that's what our strategy is. And within that, there'll be some that will acquire and the others will build. So we really do not differentiate or take a dogmatic approach to, to anything. It is what makes sense, what's the best use of capital, go-to-market timing and efficiency and all of that put together. I want to go back to that whole thing around focus and spreading yourself too thin. I had an interesting discussion just last week with a VC about organizational design and how do you structure your organization for efficiency and for growth with a model like you have, where you're going to consumers and government, or you're going to businesses. And then on top of that, you have the city. All of them are going to have different needs and different priorities. How do you structure your organization to maximize execution and growth? When you see it that way, multiple markets, multiple channels, multiple offerings, it may seem complex. But I use the analogy, it's like driving. When anyone explains driving to a non-driver, the non-driver can get very overwhelmed, right? There's a steering, you have to look in the front, look in the rear window, indicators, accelerators, brakes, and whatnot. How, how do you manage all of this? And uh, how do you keep safe? It's a, a recipe for disaster. But when you drive, it's intuitive. That's how but internally nobody feels overwhelmed and complex and stuff. I mean, when only you're looking at from outside, you get that sense but internally, it's well-trained to drive that car, which uh, could be overwhelming to some. So that's the philosophical bit of it. The other, with how we've uh, done the organization design, in fact, we did a reorg to reflect reality and then put ourselves in a best position to execute quite fast, even faster, is we market-based business units. We have Ireland as a market, France and Germany. And then we have central functions, product and technology, finance, HR. And compliance. So what the market-based business units do is they are the ones who are driving what is needed to drive growth and scale in that business, of course, aligned to the business strategy, because ultimately strategy is defined by what you don't do rather than what you do. So we have very clear strategic planning process, and then we leave it to the markets to just execute. If you look at France, as I said, they focus on B2C and they drive B2C. If you look at uh, UK, it's B2B and B2G. And, and because they're different teams, NHS is almost like completely separate business. Their pure focus is, uh, is, is B2B and so on and so forth. That's where it doesn't look complex to that individual executing on that goal. That's how we've managed the market-based business units and then the central functions providing the needed support. Got it. When you talk about health tech, obviously you have to talk about regulation. Yeah. And that definitely adds, I believe, another layer of complexity. How do you balance the need to move fast and grow? And how do you balance that with data and privacy requirements of the patients? I don't know if the regulatory framework and requirements are different in all these different countries, but how do you factor that into how you are planning to grow? 
that's why the acquisition led strategy makes sense because those local businesses have spent years building a, a business which complies with the local regulation has the right kind of reimbursement models and uh, infrastructure to to deliver healthcare the way we want to right so look, we as a company our dna which is not visible from all the marketing material or external that you hear is we are I think that perfect combination of a healthcare company on one hand and a digital and tech company on other, right? And that balance is very necessary. On the healthcare side, we are the only company in UK which has been rated outstanding by CQC, Care Quality Commission, which is the regulatory body for healthcare providers, two years in a row. And not just in digital health, this is across all healthcare. We were the first company in Europe to get the ISO certification for telehealth. For our online triage, we are regulated and approved by NHRA, and we we are so confident of the output of that that we indemnify none other than NHS with outcomes. It's, it's like an airline. No matter how fancy the airline is, how good their uh, seats and meals are, if they're not safe, you're not going to fly them. That's how we consider regulation, data privacy, governance, compliance, everything is hygiene for us. That comes first before we do anything else. And uh, we, we do it across all our markets in China. Okay, I have one last question, and that's expansion to U.S. As you mentioned, Babylon has 95% in the U.S. Allen, another health tech company, has made several senior hires to expand in the U.S. How do you think about the all-important U.S. market? We are completely focused on Europe. We think it's a really exciting opportunity. Overall, healthcare as a market across Europe is bigger than US. Digital health is smaller, but growing two and a half times faster at 25% CAGR versus 10% for North America. So in a few years' time, four to five years, Europe is going to be a larger market than North America in digital tech. And we are in the pole position here. The opportunity is huge. In primary care alone, there are four to five billion consultations in Europe every year. Being a leader, we did last year three million consultations. So do your maths in terms of market share and stuff is 0.75 or 0.075%. I might be getting a zero here and there, but it's less than, much less than 1%, right? The opportunity in front of us is so big, so huge. That I'm not thinking about U.S. at the minute, and we want to remain focused for now on building on our advantageous position in Europe. I agree with you. I think in Europe itself is a massive market. And like you said, with the strategy you've put in place on the growth path and establishing yourself nicely in Europe. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our formal section, but I have a rapid round. But before I get into this rapid round, is there anything else I should have asked you, Ranjan, about Health Hero, what you're trying to do that um, you want to share? You asked um, great questions and then some very pertinent, including the brand and further acquisitions and market entries. It's been great. Excellent. Let's t- talk about the rapid round. And I usually start with your favorite book. What's your favorite book if you had to recommend one? Sapiens by you. That has been an incredibly insightful book. I mean, I'm just so impressed by how can one individual know so much. The way it pieces together the evolution of Homo sapiens and what we came to be today and why we came to be and and where it could lead to, it's just very, very fascinating. Nice. This is a European podcast, so I'm curious to hear what's your favorite European city? Florence. It's the 
history, it's the charm, it's the architecture, food, shopping, culture. It's amazing. I love just being there. I love walking around and doing things there. It's just incredible. And I love, obviously, the Italian food language. I don't speak it, but I love the sound of it. What about a productivity tip or hack or tool that keeps you productive? Very simple one. A notebook and to-do list. This is really non-technical, non-sexy perhaps, but the power of writing things down and what you want to do is amazing. So what I do is a weekly one that uh, that I have and across various things that you have to do, I, I won't go into the detail. And then that broken down in, into the daily, uh, daily to do. And what I do is before I finish every day, of course, we are all ambitious and we have more on the list than we can achieve. I make the to-do for next day, which allows me to switch off as well and not have my mind buzzing and worrying when I finish work. The work never finishes. So I know what I'm going to tackle tomorrow. And when I finish a week, every Friday, I wrap up with the next week's entire week's to-do. So that really helps me keep sane. I love that. I have a to-do list and I have to agree with you. I've tried all kinds of digital tools and I, I keep coming back to the humble notebook yeah. and pen. I find that the most satisfying too. Okay. The last one, what's a favorite quote? Very early on, a friend of mine, when uh, you know, as I was going to my engineering college, uh, there's a culture of signing autograph books and, and then stuff. So he wrote in that take care to get what you like, otherwise you will have to like what you get. That uh, really struck a chord with me. Lovely. Thank you so much, Ranjan, for joining me on this edition of the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you and I look forward to seeing where Health Hero goes. Thank you, Anita. It was really enjoyable and thanks for all, all the great questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, keep building. 